Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Colossians chapter 1. We are going to be reading the first 23 verses of this chapter tonight, focusing on verses 15 through 23. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. What we hear now is God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. For he is before all things, and in him all things hold together." And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting up from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. 
Well, last week we began our new series of sermons on Paul's letter uh, to the Colossian church, a letter to those um, he did not know directly. This was not one of Paul's church plants. It was uh, planted by Epaphras, and yet Paul writes to them to encourage them. We saw last time how he began with a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving to God for this church thanking God for their faith, thanking God for their love, thanking God for their hope. And Paul would then go on to pray on their behalf, to pray for them. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We saw last time how Paul, in this letter to the Colossians, is going to so perfectly bring together our doctrine and our life. He will give us some deep teaching about who God is. Tonight, some deep teaching about Jesus Christ. But he always connects that with the way that we live. Because of who God is, because of who Christ is, we are called to live in a particular way. He says, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in your knowledge of God, being strengthened according to his glorious might, and giving thanks to the Father. God's God's blessing upon this church. Now, I didn't mention this uh, last week when we looked at this passage, but actually, um, I stopped the sermon a little too early last week. Some of you may have thought it was a little bit too late last week. A little too early last week, I stopped the sermon. Because we stopped at verse 14. And verse 14 is really the middle of the sentence. Paul is known for writing these long sentences in Greek. And this this one sentence begins in verse 9 and goes all the way to verse 20. So really what we have tonight is a follow-up on where we left off last week. We left off last week with verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And now he's going to talk about that beloved Son. Who is this one who has redeemed us? Who is this one who has forgiven us of our sins? He's going to complete the thought that we began last week. This particular section, verses 15 through 20, it has been suggested uh, that perhaps uh, Paul is here making use of a contemporary hymn of the time, or perhaps even that Paul wrote this section as a hymn. Now, whether it is a hymn or not, I am not sure. It is certainly stylized language almost poetic language. We might miss that as we read through it um, in our English translation, but if you do a, a, a study of how this is structured and put together, it is highly stylized and poetic. If it is a hymn, I would suggest it is a hymn that has two stanzas to it. The first stanza being given to us in verses 15, 16, and 17. A stanza which highlights the supremacy of Christ in creation. And the second stanza being found in verses 18 and 19 and 20 
a stanza which highlights the supremacy of Christ in redemption or in recreation. In both of these stanzas, we have an explanation of who Christ is. And on behalf of that, what then did he come to do? And so we're going to look at this text once again this evening, keeping in mind kind of the theme of the whole book, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, therefore as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. As you receive him as Lord, walk in him. Our doctrine and our practice go hand in hand. First of all, the supremacy of Christ in creation. Verse 15, he is, Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ is the image of God. And when we think of image of God language, our thoughts go back to creation. The fact that man was created in God's image. Man was created in true righteousness and holiness. And yet man, through his own willful disobedience, chose to reject the way of God, to go his own way. And that image became, became tarnished in man, became dingy in man. And so God would send another image bearer, he would send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. When we think about Christ being the image of God, our thoughts turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We read there of Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In fact, Jesus will say in John chapter 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He is a perfect reflector of who God is. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus Christ described as the firstborn. Let's think about that a minute. Kids, who was God's firstborn? It was Adam. Adam was the firstborn of God, created in the image of God. And yet Adam, as we said, lost that premier status. God will later choose a people for his own, the people of Israel, and he calls Israel my firstborn. And yet Israel also, through their disobedience, will lose that, that premier status. Not so with Christ. When God sends his only begotten son, Jesus Christ is that perfect image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Again, we think of, of the language of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We read in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. 
Jesus Christ, the Creator. Verse 16, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation, and He is then the Creator. Now, I know that we usually speak about God the Father as the one who is active in creation. We must not forget the triune God always works in concert with Himself. So while it is true that God the Father is Creator, He creates through the instrument, through the Word of His Son, Jesus Christ. God spoke the Word, and things came into being. Jesus Christ is the instrument of creation. Creation of all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him. Things on earth, things in heaven. All things were created through Him, and all things were created for Him. He is our Creator. He is the one who is to receive the praise from our lives. We recognize we have no life in ourselves outside of Him. We were created for Him to bring Him glory. Jesus Christ, the image of God, Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, and, and their sustainer. Verse 17. For He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now, when Paul says he is before all things, he doesn't mean that somehow Christ was created before all things, but rather that he always has been. He has the primacy over all things, both in time and in rank. Christ is superior to all things, the supremacy of Christ ruling over all creation. In him all things hold together. God, through the instrument of the Word, His Son, creates the world and then cares about that creation. The Father creates through the Son and by the Spirit then sustains all that has been made. The supremacy of Christ in creation. The image of the invisible God, the one through whom all things in heaven and on earth were made, and the one for whom all things were made. For all things hold together in Him. This first stanza speaks of, of Christ's supremacy in creation. Paul will go on. Now to be a bit more specific in his second stanza. Verse 18. For He is the head of the body, the church. Now speaking of Christ's supremacy, not in creation in general, but now Christ's supremacy in relation to his own people. Christ's supremacy in redemption. He is the head of the body, the church. The church, God's chosen ones, the church, God's chosen people, would be headed by no one else other than Christ himself. He is the head of the church. Sometimes people say, children, whose church is that over there? They might look at our church, they drive by at Riverside, and they say, hey, look, whose church is that over there? And some people might say, well, you know what, that's Reverend Niemeyer's church. Yeah, that wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be right. They might say, they might say, that's the elder's church. That's closer. That's closer. But the answer is, it's Christ's church. Christ himself 
is the head of his people. Christ himself is the one who rules over his people. He is the head of the body, the church. And we read, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This one who is ruler over all creation, this one who is king over his church, is the one who rose from the dead. Resurrection language, firstborn from the dead. Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life here on earth. He would be put to death, a cruel death on the cross, but the grave could not hold him. He would rise again, the firstborn from the dead. I mean, when, we, when we hear that firstborn language, it speaks of, of more to come. Christ the firstborn, and there would be more to follow. All who are found in him also will not be left in the ground, will not lie dead, but will have a new life in Jesus Christ in the head of the church. He is the one who, who always has been the one who is king and the one who is head, that in everything, Paul says, he might be preeminent. He might have the preeminence. Again, remember how we left off last time, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, death, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He gives us life. We are found in him. He is the one who went ahead of us into the grave. He is the one who goes ahead of us up to heaven once again as a picture, as a reminder that if we are found in him, we too will spend an eternity with our God, living before him, praising him because of Christ's death, because of his resurrection, we now have life. He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And then Paul says in verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is supreme in reconciliation. Now, I thought about using that word on the outline tonight. I used the word redemption. Redemption has a certain um, flavor to it in terms of our salvation. Redemption speaks of a price that was paid. And Christ came and he paid the price for our sins. That's what Paul says earlier in verses 13 and 14. Now he expands on that, doesn't use the word redemption, but uses the word reconciliation. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of the cross. Redemption speaks of a payment being made. Reconciliation speaks of the restoration of a relationship. We are restored to fellowship with God. It's beyond a mere transaction. A payment was made. 